Hello, it's Denise from Women Beyond a Certain Age. Hello, and our guest today is Michelle Jones. Hello, Michelle. Hello. We're both overexcited to see each other, and I'll tell, let me just tell them why, Michelle. <laughs> I met Michelle in Richmond, Virginia at a writer's symposium that I was a speaker at. And then, and it was all put together by Patrick Hilton. And the thing that happened is, it never happened again. That conference never happened again. But what I, who I met was Michelle because you were so generous, Michelle, and hosted, which I guess then on the next day or something, I was giving a little food styling class in your mm -hmm. restaurant. All I remember is the food was delicious. Thank you. And that you were such, and I wanted to have Michelle on today because you are like, to me, the epitome of someone in hospitality. Um, you did, it was, you were so gracious. Your restaurant, I think we were in comfort, weren't we? We were in comfort. We were actually in pasture, at pasture. Mm -hmm. But it was so charming and the art and the colors in you. So that's why Michelle is here today because I wanted to talk to you, Michelle, about one, how you got into the hospitality industry and two, what's been happening now with the pandemic? Because I don't, if you're not in the industry, I don't know if people understand the havoc that the pandemic has done. Do you know what I mean? It's simply said, and I'm going to say it to you, but here was an example. There's a little place that's opened in the pandemic near my house. It's a brew pub sort of thing. They have sandwiches and hamburger and stuff. I went with my best friend last night. We went to have a salad. They have managed to hang on and the food is good and stuff. But you know what, Michelle, they still said, we can't sit. We said, oh, can we sit at our favorite table? And the young lady was so lovely. She said, I'm so sorry. I don't have enough help tonight. So I'm afraid your service won't be good if we stick you over there. Would you mind taking this table? Which we immediately said, of course, of course, we understood. So talk to us about how you got into the hospitality industry and what you're doing with, because there's changes in store. <laughs> there, are, I, there are, I mean, I don't think it's been a complete reset, but I also think that that was probably needed. But so I got into hospitality. Uh, I grew up in Virginia Beach, Virginia. I lived all over before, but I ended up there. And, you know, you get, you get a job when you're 13. My first job was at Dairy Queen. It's also the first and only job I've been fired from. Apparently, Dairy Queen doesn't like it when you give away food, even though someone ordered it and didn't want it. And I gave it away to a little kid. The next day he shows up and says, hey, where's that girl that gave me the free ice cream? And they said, you can either pay for this, which was $3 in 1982, which is a lot of money. A lot of money. Or you can be fired. I was making $3.35 an hour. And I was like, you know what? I quit. <laughs> uh, so that's my first. Uh, but so then later, as you, you get older, you realize that where the money is, is waiting tables, right? There's a ton of, I grew up in Virginia Beach. There's all these tourist places and pancake houses and things like that. So with breakfast waiting. And what I didn't realize then was that you could actually have a career in hospitality. And so I flunked out of college twice. Apparently you, there's not a lot you can do with a folklore degree that I never even managed to get. But I like telling stories and I like talking to people. And at the time I was young with big boobs and a nice smile. And in Virginia Beach, that went a long way. And uh, it still does. And it still, it still does. does, right? I mean, yeah. So what I came to realize later after, you know, I, I was a nanny, I worked in retail, was that the money is great in restaurants. The people 
are a lot of fun and there is a skill to it. And in the beginning, when I would wait tables, I waited tables at a place called Monterey. So I had a great manager named Jeannie Aini, who I'm still friendly with 30 years later. And she said the smartest thing anyone's ever said in a restaurant is, if you come to work, prepare to stay and close the restaurant. Because I think a lot of people forget that, right? They want to, they're like, well, I'm done. It's over, time to go home. And so I've always remembered that Jeannie's like, you come, plan on staying. It doesn't matter what time it says you're going to get done. You stay till the end. And so she was a great manager and I learned a lot from her, but yeah. And then I realized that I'm actually also good at managing people, managing people's expectations. And that that's something real because my first few restaurant jobs, my whole goal was don't ask Michelle. I wanted to get in, get out, make the money. Like hopefully they think Michelle's an idiot, not so stupid. She can't count the money, but you don't want her actually closing the restaurant down. Right. You don't want her having the keys. I didn't want the keys. And then later when they actually needed my help and I would step up, I was like, okay, maybe I'm not quite as stupid as I pretended to be. I could do this. I can help you with this. And then jumping in when things would go south and I could turn a situation. And I realized that that was actually something that was a skill. Who knew? Because sweetie, and it's so funny, Michelle, and I love this so much. I had several years in my life where I didn't want to be the manager. Okay. Right. I just wanted to, I wanted to do my, and that's when mm -hmm. I was in the back of the house, I didn't want to be the manager. I didn't want no. to be the chef. I just got out of school. I could have put a little rum or vodka in my orange juice. I wore a clean uh -huh. uniform. I kept my station clean and my boss loved me because I did right. what he told me to do. Yes. You didn't want, you're, you're not coming with ideas. Make up anything. I don't want to run the money and everything. But I'm convinced management, if you're management material, that it finds you. Do you know what I it mean? Does. It's never, and it's never the ones who want it the most, usually, okay. right? The ones who seek power are usually not the ones who should be given the power. No, that's right. And they're not good at it, and everyone hates them. Yes, everyone does hate them. And so that was me for a very long time. And then finally, I was like, I left restaurants and I got a retail job and the worst manager I've ever had, I was the manager of a little girl's clothing store. And the manager would say things, the district manager would say things like, you need to wear more makeup. If you look like you're wearing enough makeup to go to work in a whorehouse, you haven't enough. And I'd say, Rebecca, you realize we're dealing with children, right? This is a children's store. She would come in drunk. Um, and if this is inappropriate, Cindy, you can edit oh, me out. No, it's, nothing is inappropriate. So this was the like 2002, uh, you know, I took it. I, I talked to kids just like I talked to anybody else. I had a great time with that. And I, I ex exceeded all of their expectations, right? Because I'm in sales, right? When I was a waitress, just, just a waitress, and we know there's no such thing. I would bring Halloween candy. I would leave little notes for people. So I've always used to being running my own show. So I lied and talked myself into this job that was probably too big for me, but I was surprisingly good at it. And we got an award. And so we flew us to California because uh, it was a, a wet seal corporation. If you know the store wet seal and Rebecca, who had been terrible up to that point, gets drunk on the plane. Um, and then, you know, I have to help and give a speech for her. And then when we're coming back, she, there's the, the flight attendants are asking for more vodka, more vodka, about a few seats up. So, of course, it's Rebecca. We get off in, in Dallas. 
for the layover and she comes up to me and she says, so Michelle, I met this guy on the plane. You can see where this is going, right? And uh, he thought it would be fun if we all got a hotel room together. And I said, what now? Rebecca, I just want to eat my Snickers bar and read my book uh, and get back on the plane. And she says, well, wouldn't it be fun? You know, I think the word is menage a trois. And I said, well, Rebecca, I feel like this is a good opportunity to give you my notice and let you know that I'll be quitting effective immediately. She was going to give me two weeks. I was like, you know what? I will give you two weeks because it was a, it was a big contest. And so I managed to win the contest that no one thought I would. I had $1,500 extra and got to get out. And then I went to work at a restaurant that my friend had been the hostess as a part-time hostess. Then of course the manager left. I end up as the manager. And at that place is where I met this guy on the last day of service there. After I was there for six years, I met the guy who was helping Jason Alley, who later became my partner, open a restaurant in Portsmouth, Virginia. And I told the guy, I was like, you're bothering me. It's the last day. I'm getting out. The restaurant business is for crazy people. I've got a new job as a, as a stylist with Lillian Vernon, uh, which is the world's saddest, uh, you know, Lillian Vernon, right? I used to buy things from the Lillian Vernon. My sister and I worked with food stylists and stylists there as their in-house stylists. And I was like, this is it, y'all. I'm out of the restaurant business. I got, I'm making real money. They're even going to bring us in lunch. I was like, this is amazing. But it turned out to be uh, getting there at 7 a.m. at the Lillian Vernon place and working for a, a husband duo who hated laughter <laughs> and music and anything. It was like working for the people of Footloose. And so I was like, maybe I should dig that piece of paper where I put Jason Alley's phone number in it because this, I'm not going to last. Once they accused me of eating their salad, I was like out of there. I was like, this is not for me. So I got, I jumped back into the restaurant business. Uh, and that's how I met my partner. And we turned out to know all the same people, but had never met each other. So it was, I know that's circuitous, but yes. <laughs> I have to tell you something. There is common themes in women guests on this show okay <laughs> they've been fired <laughs> they, they they did not feel that they were you know the leader material but in fact they were mm -hmm. um, all the things but I will say this you're the first person whose boss in a layover ever said let's get a <laughs> room with a perfect stranger now I couldn't believe it. I did say to the man, he said, I will go back that he said, Hey, I mean, my wife said, you know, if I ever, if this ever came up, it'd be, it would be cool. And I did say, dude, I feel like your wife assumed there'd never be two women, both so desperate and so stupid at the exact same time to want to hook up in a Chili's bathroom with you is. So I assume she felt pretty good about that. And he was like, what? Yeah, that's the funniest thing. The other thing we have to, I just have to see it one more time. People may not remember Lillian Vernon, but it was one of the first catalog sales warehouse. That's all I say. Yes. I was a new bride. Uh, so this is 1971. I had bought my husband and I, but it was my money. It was, I don't know why he 
It's just said husband. But my first husband and I <laughs> got to buy a condo when we got married, okay? And I had saved that money, Michelle, from modeling for Macy's and babysitting, and my father helped too. But so we had this little condo. Well, we didn't have two cents and he was in school. So I coveted the Lillian Vernon catalog because she sold Chotsky's. Oh, yes. I coveted them. It was trying like, to make those things look good was not easy. We'd have the mushroom, uh, the, the you know where you had the mushroom cutter, and or the egg cutter that you would slice her, and you'd have to pre-cut the egg or mushrooms because that thing would not cut, and so'd have to. We've been there. <laughs> yes. So, Lillian Vernon, uh, it, it's warehouses in Virginia Beach, and I'd never even been in a warehouse like that before. It was like I expected the Oompa Loompas to jump out. I thought it was going to be so fun and so exciting in this, like my new high-powered fancy lady career. And meanwhile, I'm getting yelled at by these two, by this husband team who were like, did someone laugh? And my sister was like, shut up. And I'm like, I something was funny. So I laughed. I mean, when I left and I gave them my notice, they were so angry because I'd made good friends with what I am as a team builder, right? I like, you you know, I'm a squad builder. So, you know, everyone besides those two guys really liked me and I made great friends. So I was there three weeks and they gave me a huge going away party (laughs) and they were so angry. Now, is Lillian Vernon still in business? I think it is. I have to look it up. My tastes have changed. The Well, they were trying to rebrand when we were with them. You'll appreciate that. And so they brought in this sister, other sister team, Jane and Jackie, who were were stylists from New York. And they were great at their job. And our friend Garvin, who was also out of New York. And, you know, I'm, you know, I've been to New York. I've traveled the world. But these were like very cosmopolitan people. And I was so excited to meet them. And they were so kind, generous with their knowledge. They were just amazing. Like, that was such a great thing. But so I was like, I had planned my Lillian, Vernon and I, we're going to go all the way. We're going to make them the new Pottery Barn because that's what they were showing us, these scenes from Pottery Barn catalogs and being like, can you make this look like this? And I'm like, maybe. Um, But but it it was a really interesting thing and and also taught me a lot about what not to do as a manager, right? You're stuck inside from 7 a.m. till 5.30. You go in at dark because it was winter. You leave and it's dark. There, these and the and you're making it this miserable place for people when you know it wouldn't have hurt anyone that we're taking still photography why couldn't there be music right why couldn't I laugh and so you know that's how they were comfortable working they were out of Chicago he kept telling me that a lot and I said finally on my last day say I think that means more than you think it means less than you think it means everybody's from somewhere <laughs> I, mean, I learned yeah more from the bad chefs when I finally realized that it was a career okay I don't discover it was a career and I invested and I had changed my life and I invested I spent a lot of money I invested a lot of money in myself and I thought geez I got to make this work which by the way Michelle wasn't until I was like 35 years old so I wasn't in a big hurry uh to grow up is what I always say to myself you and me both but nothing wrong with that but no, I learned more from bad chefs and there weren't that many great chefs that, I mean, I, the places that would hire me were not great chefs. Okay. But, and they were all men and they were all European and they all screamed and they all threw pans and they, everybody were, screamed and threw pans. 
And you did never said anything except yes, chef. And people now will say to me, like young women say, oh, well, you should have gone to human resources. I said, what the fuck are you talking about? There's no human resources. <laughs> what is this human resources of which you speak? And right, so, no. You know, I look at what, when you just said that I learned, I remember sometimes when shit would just happen and the kitchen would fall apart because the chef mm -hmm. had thrown a hot pan of hot oil and maybe it hit somebody and maybe it didn't. But of course, then it took 20 minutes to clean up the hot oil and it was a slick spot all day long. So somebody oh, yeah. fall. And I would say to myself, hmm, that may not have been the most effective <laughs> teaching tool. Right. Really? So I love what you're saying because that's how you learn. So yes. you met Jason. What's not to do is just as important as what you do. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. right. You know, and I would come in every day, whatever my job was, in a good mood because I'm determined to be in a good mood if I'm going to be there. And that caused a lot of people to underestimate me. Yes. Right? Because I'm not a crier. I'm not a screamer. I always say... I never want it to start shitty, but I can certainly get shitty if it has to, but that's never the goal. The goal is to have the best day possible. And so whether that was me as a waitress or managing Zootopia, the world's saddest little kid store, which was awesome until it wasn't, it's, you know, that's, that's what I want. And so lead and, and leading by example, whether I'm, whether I'm the waitress or the manager or the owner. You know, when you say that, what it makes me think of Michelle, one, I know that about you because I spent the day with you and I watched you in your restaurant. You were so gracious. You served all of us lunch. I mean, there were a lot, it was a very, it would be, a, it was a very confusing day. Some people were, you know what I mean? They were, it was, it was confusing, not bad confusing, but it was a lot going on in your space. But I have to tell you, I would, with Betty White passing on, I've been reading different things, you know, interviews, but one of her, and I know this because I've spent a day working with her. And then- Which is again, so exciting to me. I know, it I was wonderful. Cindy and I, it was like probably the best day we had in 30 years of styling, but that, wow, that's beside the point. But <laughs> do you know what? That's what Betty's White attitude was. She said, I go to my job and I want to be happy. Mm-hmm. So when you'd hear all this crap about people not like each other on sets or there was, there was some tension with the Golden Girl, not from Betty White, because her feeling was, so here she lived to be, not, which I think is probably part of her longevity, but she lived to be 99 because you know what, when she went to work, just like you just said, she wanted to be happy. Yes. I want to be pleased, right? It's like when I go out to dinner, you know, when I was thinking someone was talking to me about Yelp recently and, and this stuff, it's the same thing. This is what I used to say to my staff is that I go out to dinner or to the movies or whatever, and I'm looking to be pleased. There's a certain segment of the population, depending on how cynical I'm feeling on the day, I say it's usually more like 5%, but 5% of the people in my mind, they come out to have a bad time and they always find it, right? So well, you may not always find your good time, but you're always going to find your bad time. And at that point, there's we there's nothing we can do. That's We're going right. to do everything we can to make them happy. But in the end, if you're looking for a bad time, you're going to find it. Well said, perfectly said. Uh, and I have friends like that, and <laughs> I have I have friends like that. Not many anymore, because you know what, honey? Yeah, you know I'm very old, and I don't have that much time left. Yeah, I let's weed those people out. I I don't want to be around people 
that are looking for the negative because there's no reason for it. And as you just said, if I have got 10 bucks and I can go into some place and get a bowl of soup and they give me a little piece of bread and I have a glass of wine, what's the bad news? Right. There is no bad news there. Great. We're lucky enough that we can afford to go out. And if, and if you know you go out once a month or every day, I feel like you still should be looking for the good. And because everybody, most people that get into the hospitality industry, they get into it and they stay in it because they love it, right? There's a lot to recommend it. There, it's It can be flexible. People call us in to consult on things or anything. Like I say that if you've got, you can't offer the great benefits then you need to figure out what your benefits are, right? And so part of that should be flexibility, you know? It should be a fun workplace. It should be that I'm happy to come to work every day. So smart. Now, so you meet Jason Alley, and what yeah. happens from there? Well, so I meet Jason Alley. I decide to call him because the Lillian Vernon's not working out, so I make the call, and we meet. We hit it off immediately. I'm dating some loser that keeps texting me and his very nice wife is texting him like, what's going on? Cause we've been sitting there for a while. So he already has a great restaurant in Richmond called Comfort. And what he's looking for is a manager for his restaurant Comfort in Portsmouth, Virginia. And so because I'm, I'm honest and not always thinking it all the way through but I did have a job at this point. So he says to me, what, what do you think my biggest impediment is gonna be in opening this restaurant? And these are my first like real interview questions and I say that you picked Portsmouth Virginia to open this place <laughs> because that's a scene that's a place that's a it's a movie set that's so beautiful but for a film that will never get made he's like what do you mean it's so beautiful it looks like Richmond it's a fun old city but there's it Portsmouth is all relying on the tunnels if the tunnels are with you you can get there in 30 minutes from Virginia Beach and 10 minutes from Norfolk, which are the surrounding cities. But if they're not with you, you can sit for hours. And so people know that, so they don't really come there. It's also fairly provincial. But he hired me anyway. <laughs> I, he had me, he, we have everybody come and try out, right? So you can see, so I go to Richmond. I have walk-in pneumonia, but I don't wanna tell him that I have walk-in pneumonia because I say to myself, it sounds like a lie and I wouldn't hire me if I said I had walk-in pneumonia and didn't show up for this. So I drive two hours, like put on the face, right? I'm gonna go in there, I'm gonna sell it. Um, he's got some waitresses that have been there for a long time, not very friendly and I couldn't care less. I'm smiling, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get this job because I wanna decide if I want it or if I don't want it, right? I want them to, I always want them to offer it to me yes. so I can make a decision. So he asked me around, I worked the lunch shift and he says, do you wanna go get some lunch? And I say, you know, my friend Karen's in town. Do you mind if I hang out with her for a little bit? Which means Karen comes and she lets me lay down in the back of her car so they don't know her car for an hour and a half. And then I get back up and I do it again for dinner. And then he says, oh my God, Michelle, you were great. And I was like, really? He was like, we would love to have you. And I'm like, awesome. I got walking pneumonia. I'm exhausted. I got to lay down. <laughs> He's, can you eat anything? I was like, no, pack me up something. Let's do it. I'm going to drive back to Virginia beach. Oh my so God. yes. So that is how we met and we hit it off and he realized that I'm going to do whatever it takes. That's exactly right. You're going, I, people, <laughs> oh, Michelle, I love this so much. You know what? My, a friend of mine always says this to me who has assisted me once or twice just be before Cindy. So this is 25 years ago, he's my best friend. But he always would say to me and says it about me in front of people, he says, she'd go to, Denise would go to work with a bullet in her leg. Right. <laughs> and he That's said, what you do. and I'm, the first 
first but I know that about you. I know you would. I know. But when the first time he's like, wait, we gotta get this done and then we'll get the bullet out afterwards yeah. if well, we have time. For the first time he said to me, I thought, well, that's not that big of a deal. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I, I mean if the, leg, if the leg was gone, that would be hard. But that's not a big deal. Yeah, I mean, right? I mean, like I came to play, right? I wanted him to offer me the job. And we, we were talking about this the other day when I told him that I was going to be on this and that I was talking, I was going to talk about some stuff. We were talking about our, you know, how we never really had any awkward except for this one thing when it's time to ask me about money. And I always think this is important for women, right? Because I, when I was going to be a manager, I said to myself that the, in my, what I've seen from women who've managed me in my reading, um, I'm 53, I'm going to be 53 in March. So, you know, it, it was still a weird time. Women had it all, but still we're not used to being That's bosses. Right. And so I was like, women get hung up on A, wanting everyone to like them, trying to, you know, not talk about uncomfortable things. And so my thing would be like, as a manager, I'm going to, I'm going to correct nicely in the moment, not going to let things stew, not going to like, like wait until the end of the shift and be like, where's the ketchup? You know, here's the ketchup. And I'm also not going to be weird about talking about money because I think that's what sets men apart or used to was their ability to just be like, here's what I need. So Jason says at the end, he's like, they want to offer me a job. He's like, do you need to email me about money? And I was like, nope. I know exactly how much I need. And, you know, at, at the time it was, this was 14 years ago, 15, almost 15 years ago. And I was like, I need $42,000. That's it. I can't work for less. And he was like, okay. Michelle, you just did something that is so important. And I don't care what age women are because I found this, which horrifies me. Younger women that listen to this podcast and younger women that I've spoke when I've gone to conferences and I speak about stuff. I'm not sure that women have gotten any better yet, some certainly, but about talking about money. And yet, if we're supposed to be in the workplace and we're supposed to be equal, and we already know we make less money than men most of the time, right. well, why is that? Because we don't talk about money and we don't right. ask for what we're worth. So for you to just say that, and also correcting in the moment, which is brilliant, and I mean, it, it's brilliant, but I, I, I'm horrified sometimes. I get a lot of text messages from women that I don't know that say, I work in New York, I do this, but someone said I could contact you. I don't know what, I mean, I don't know what to charge for catering. I don't know what to charge for my time. I don't know what to charge as a food sales. I said, you got to find out what other people are getting paid. And right. 20% to that because chances yeah. are they're not asking for enough money. Exactly. And give them some wiggle room. I said to myself, if I had to go for it, this was again, 15 years ago in, you know, in Virginia beach, which Virginia beach is an expensive city, but I was like, I had, you know, I know what I can live on. I know that they're a small company. This is something. And I give them $2,000 of wiggle room if I had to. Brilliant. Brilliant. Something to negotiate. But I do think everyone should be more comfortable about talking about money. And I think for me, I grew up, my dad was an alcoholic, so we were either feast or famine. He was also a really, really brilliant guy who could talk himself into any job, a little bit of a huckster, but great with computers. And so I, it was either going to be feast or famine at my house, right? You know, he would disappear for months at a time. My mom would have to make it on her small salary. And I always watched her be really uncomfortable about asking for a raise. And I said to myself, this shitty childhood and my mom did the best she could if she's listening to this someday, but, but of course she did, but the shitty childhood is the gift that keeps on giving. And then for me, it's a good thing, right? It says to me that I'm going to, I'm not embarrassed to talk about money. 
I was, when people would say, you know, cause kids can be mean and I wasn't bullied or anything like that very much, but occasionally something would come out where they would find out like our house had gotten repossessed or something like that. And, um, they would say, you're poor. And I was like, I'm not poor. My parents are poor, man. Like I'm 11. Yeah. <laughs> I got a paper route. I got money at my purse. Thank you. You know, like you know what- I'm not poor and I'm not going to be poor. I'm never going to think of whether how much money I have, I'm going to think of myself as, as wealthy because whether we made a bunch of money in restaurants or not, and we did not make a bunch, we had the, we had, and still have, I mean, the best life right? I'm invited to everything. I've been to so many events, things that I would never have been able to do or afford. And so I always think of myself as a, as a really wealthy person. Um, I love this so much. We had a money manager woman on not too long ago. I mean, she's just a genius with money, but I said it when I listened to it afterwards, because I've always said this and Cindy knows I'd say to Cindy sometimes when we were running, the food selling me, I'd say, honey, we broke, but we're not poor. But we broke. And we, I would say for one day we'd have lunch, but we usually, we always had lunch together. But so, once in a while it was pouring down rain and we were sitting in the studio, no, phone's not ringing, we don't have any job. And we were eating like a tuna sandwich. And I say, we are pitiful pearls today. Mm-hmm. Tomorrow we might be rich again. Right, so- who knows? I, I read this years ago. And it was a quote attributed to John Steinbeck, but I don't know if it is because no one can actually prove it. But it says that America, the reason that, that it's so hard to get some things done in America and, and it might account for like why we don't have as many people who want to work crappy jobs anymore is that we're a country. And this was said in the 30s of just temporarily embarrassed millionaires <laughs> just because I don't have money today <laughs> doesn't mean I won't have money next week. Yes. Right. Yes. So all we're waiting for is that next big thing. And for for me, most times it's panned, panned out. Uh, you know what? See, this is the thing. Uh, Michelle, I'm a firm believer in this. I think you have to make plans and stuff. I also think that plans just go to shit lots yeah. of times. <laughs> Even though mm-hmm. everything right, it doesn't mean it's going to pan out. But most of the time in my life, I had an idea. I had a goal. Mm-hmm. I worked hard. Most of them worked out. Some of them, fate intervened and took me on another path. But you know what? Right. I had more fun. I was bitching to my husband about something recently. Not being regretful, because I try not to have regrets, but I kind of said something about food styling or what I'd done in my business. And he turned to me and he said, you cannot have regrets, Denise, because I don't know anybody that had as much fun as you. Right. And when he said that, it may, I thought, oh, God damn it, he's right. You said one other thing, and then you have to go start, start talking. I don't want to. Suzanne Summers, who was a client of Cindy's and mine for years, always. What said, you got to know, I think is super cool. <laughs> and lovely woman. God, she was generous. We learned a lot from her. But here's the bottom line. She was a child of an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And she says all the time, Ducky was an alcoholic. But you know what? I learned more from him that that's why I'm still working. And that's why I like to be successful. And that's a huge thing right. to be able to say. Huge. Yeah. When I worked as a waitress, I would have every so often the meaner waitresses like refer to me as Pollyanna and stuff like that. And I'm like, yes. bitch, you don't know, right? Like, again, it, it's fine. But I always say that I never try to blame anything on my parents or anything like that because, you know, it, it is what it was what it was. 
They were literally doing the best they could. My dad got sober when I was 18. He was still a jerk. That was it. That was a kind of a depressing thing. Like, oh, I thought once he got sober, he'd be this great guy. No, he was the same guy. He was just sober, Uh, you know, super charming uh, to other people, still kind of a jerk to me uh, and my sister. But he did everything he could to 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 write things. You know, he couldn't change his entire personality. Um, But, yeah, I, I think a lot about, you know, about my dad and I, and I also think like, I loved having a job growing up. I loved feeling like I was contributing to my family. When I was 11, um, I got a paper route and I used that money so that we could have Christmas. I took a cab to the mall with my sister and got my mom. It was uh, 1980. And so it was the year of the Adabeed necklace and the, um, the sweaters with your initials on them, you know? Yes. And so I went to the fanciest store. I was living in Richmond for a year before we moved back to Virginia Beach and got took a cab to the fanciest store in, in Richmond called La Vogue. The nicest women, they saw that we were in a cab and they helped, they, sit, they had the, the gifts sent to us. They oh. treated us like royalty. They could not have been nicer. And so, I mean, you know, my crappy childhood gave me a lot of, of, of a work ethic and my mom always made things as fun as she could. And, you know, I don't, I might change it. Maybe I wouldn't be 53 and single. I haven't done that work yet. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't change a lot of it. I feel like I am who I am and I'm cool with me today. So, that yeah. Is the most important statement you can ever make, I think. Do I, again, do I wish Mr. Darcy slash Jake Ryan had shown up from 16 Candles? I'm still waiting, I know. right? And maybe, and maybe that's still going to, but you know, I know Michelle, and you and I mentioned this yesterday. And of course I know it's me. You guys have had offers. You have not accepted them. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. I mean, yes. There's guys, right. Cindy had boys that came after her and she'd go out on a date once in a while and come back the next morning. And she'd always do the same thing. Don't ask. It was like, I think. Right. Well, I'll say this. I always, because, you know, I didn't resolve maybe my, all my issues and, and until like the last like five years, I feel like I realized, oh my goodness, um, love and is not supposed to feel like crap. That's right. Right. The nice guy is not boring. I know. Right? He doesn't have to roll in on a motorcycle and uh, stand me up two times for me to be interested. So it took me till 48 to figure that out. And now I'm cruising in on 53. I'm hoping he'll show up. That's right. Young lady, the first time that I realized in therapy, okay, Mm -hmm. so when I wasn't very good at algebra, except I kept seeing until I was about 36 or 37, that the equation of my relationships all ended exactly the same way. Mm -hmm. A plus B equaled, well, in those days, horror story or whatever you wanted to call it. They all ended the same way. And I got into therapy and I'll never forget when this brilliant woman who changed my life and I was there for five years said to me, so Denise, in the equation, all your relationships end the same way. If you're A and something else is B, what's happening with B? And I would say, well, I don't want to be bored. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I picked difficult men. So of course the relationships I wanted to win or I wanted to change them or whatever, all the stuff that I wanted to do, which by the way, doesn't work (laughs) Um, for me. 
So I learned that, Michelle, but that is a tough one. That is, it is. A tough one. I like to win too. And you know, there's no, it's, it's not coincidental that I picked those, those type of men and I've picked a, a business that is constantly changing and that is exciting. I am comfortable in chaos. That's right. And so that's where my comfort level is. That's right. Now I've realized I don't want to come home to chaos. That's right. Oh, honey. Oh, you've done so well. (laughs) No, these are huge things. Yes, I enjoy managing chaos, right? That's part of the fun. That's right. A good restaurant, a good event, whatever we're talking about, there's going to be some chaos and there's going to be some fun. When I did film work and stuff, you know, what I loved was the camaraderie and the the fun of putting on a, a an event or a play or help out in a movie or something because all of everyone working together for this common goal. But it's a common goal, particularly in restaurants, that you have to get up the next morning and do all over again. So that fit with my crazy lifestyle. No, I'll <laughs> tell you. The things that I loved about working a cookbook shoot or an infomercial or a TV commercial was that sense of accomplishment of solving the problem at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Cindy and I would say to each other when we were driving home, sometimes we had solved 10 explosions in a 10 hour sure. period. And other people would have been exhausted. It was tiring, sort of things. But sometimes we were so, we were excited about the accomplishments of solving the chaos. Yes, right. And I love that. And I right? was addicted to it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But like you, at one point, I decided that when I stopped doing that, I wanted to come home to no chaos. I wanted to come mm-hmm. home to peace and quiet and love. Mm-hmm. And and then I met Kenny, which, by the way, I was divorced for 14 years between husbands, Michelle. So if it can happen to me, it can Yay. happen to you. Well, you know, I, like I say, I, I always think, right, if you build it, they will come. Yes. And if they don't come, you've already, you've built it anyway. So enjoy <laughs> yourself. Your downside. That's right. Now, we have taken you up to Jason Alley, Alley which yes. is a big part. So what I think we're going to do is because... Michelle, and I, everything I think we've talked about is brilliant, but I want, to tell you I want to tell people that are listening that we are going to turn around and what they need to do now is look for part two. Great. You're going to talk about your restaurant career and the restaurants you owned and what's the pandemic has done to them. Okay. Great. Because if we go on too long, people don't listen to the pot. We know Cindy oh, no. does all the analytics. You know what I mean? I don't even know. Yeah, right. And I'm sure you know that. And, and Cindy, since you are, it sounds like you're single that the, some, for some things, yes, brevity is key. That <laughs> I, some of my relationships would have been considered successful if they had been brief, more brief. So yes, I'm ready. <laughs> so everyone, Michelle Jones, she's coming back to us in part two. Um, thank you for everyone that listens. We will, as always, on our Woman Beyond a Certain Age Facebook page, there will be information about Michelle. There will be ways to reach Michelle. Um, and I hope everyone comes back for part two. Michelle, I have to tell people in a text privately, Michelle and I talked about yesterday for a minute because we're finishing on relationships and which are a huge part of women's lives, all women. And I'm never meaning to exclude men, but I think in women's position, it's different. Michelle told a story of a boring guy (laughs) 
that had been her boyfriend. She didn't like him or he didn't, wasn't going to work, but he ended up <clears throat> working for Amazon and buying million, getting millions of dollars. God bless him. And then he died quickly. And I knew her in the text, trying not to be offensive. Jesus Christ, you would have been a rich widow. Only can a person with a personality like you, can someone text that to another person and realize that it was totally inappropriate, but we both laughed. I had to tell the story of, I was, my best friend went to the back door of Stanford, which meant that their parents, all these guys that were in school with him, it was a junior college in Palo Alto, Honey, their fathers then donated, you know, uniforms or a gymnasium or a library. And then their kids magically, after two years in the junior college, got into Stanford. Okay. <laughs> well, he got to Stanford. So my best friends, all of us, we all dated his friends. Okay. And they were things like they called one guy, Mr. Friskies, his father incarnation. Another guy they called Federated. His parents owned the Federated chain. Um, one of them they called Levi because his parents owned Levi Strauss. Now, all of us were dating these guys. I dated Federated. I had a I had more than one. When our mothers found this out, so we're all 18 or something, my best friend's mother, Carol Waxman's mother said, and then my mother almost identically, they said, you marry one of those boys now and you fool <laughs> around later. We did not know. We did not know. Now, would I have changed my life for the money? No. Would you have changed your life, Michelle, for the money? No. But once in a while on a bad day when I couldn't pay my rent mm -hmm. or <laughs> my car was in the shop or my cat and I were splitting the can of tuna, I remember <laughs> thinking that was a fork in the road that I, I, I didn't take. Yes. Words of wisdom. Thank uh -huh. you everyone that listens and sends us messages. And if you want to reach out to Cindy and I, of course, it's womenbeyond at icloud.com. But come back for part two of Michelle Jones because it's your fun, Michelle. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> I'm having a great time. Thank you. Thank you, Miss Cindy, for everything you do. Bye-bye. <laughs>